Father, thank you so much that we can pray to you and that you will hear our prayers. Lord, you tell us in your word that if your words abide in us and we abide in you, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done for us. Lord, Brother Elijah, who is our representative to the military, Lord, we ask God that as he goes back and uh, receives some more training, I pray, Lord, that you will help him to hone his warfighting skills. I pray that he will be a man among men, that, Father, that you will give him that mental toughness that he needs to not just to survive in that arena, but to thrive as well. I pray, Father, that you'll give him the incentive in his own heart to be able to read your word, to set aside that time, to make a commitment for it. Lord, that he would hide your word in his heart, that he would seek you with all of his heart, that he would store up your word in his heart that he might not sin against you. Lord, the Marines, uh, they have a, a sordid reputation to maintain, unfortunately. So I pray, Father, for Elijah. We pray for him, and we ask God that you would help him to be able to set a different path. I pray, Lord, that as he uh, goes back, that you would help him to mentor those who need it. I pray, Lord, that you'll help him to seek out men to, uh, to be mentored by who are godly, who know you, and who love you. And so we also want to lift up to you, Sandra. We lift up John. We lift up others in our midst who are undergoing stress, undergoing uh, injury recovery. Lord, we continue to pray for, for Bill and Jenny and all of their allergies, all of their sensitivities. We ask God that you would help them. And I pray now, Father, that you would help us as we go into your word, this very powerful passage, very practical passage of Scripture. Help us, Lord, to have a hope-filled 2021 and to show the world that we have hope. Our hope is in you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I trust that you had a great New Year's Eve celebration. You know, you got together with a lot of people, right? Close proximity, watching the ball drop? No? Or maybe you had a great, huge get-together with, with all kinds of food and just had a great time, right? Oh, really? Uh, I guess COVID strikes again, right? And you think about COVID, and you think about what is going on with the mindset of our country, and not just COVID, but so many other things. You know, for example, Kitty and I were in a store earlier this week, and I told her before I went there that talking point was that if the salespeople were to ask me to wear a mask, I would politely tell them that I could not due to my conviction about wearing masks. And if they continue to insist, I would politely leave. No harm, no foul, but no sale either. Well, we arrived at the store, and sure enough, the salesperson asked me to wear a mask. And I told him that due to my conviction about it, I, that I would not do it. And to my surprise, my pleasant surprise, he said, okay, and acted as though it was pre-COVID days. Now, we were in the process of making the purchase. The sales guy was good, <laughs> so we made the purchase. And as we were in the midst of making, he making the sale with us, we were sitting in some chairs, in, the, in a certain area in the store. And he came back and forth with us. And then as we were sitting there, we overheard a couple with another salesperson saying that they could not enter the area that we were in because I was not wearing a mask. Well, I, we got up and we went to another area of the store and it was kind of near the, the front door. 
And I was watching a display or looking at a display, and then, then Kitty noticed that there were some people coming to the door wanting to get in, and they were staring at me without a mask. And they glared, apparently, and then they turned around and walked away. And then it was like, okay, what am I going to do with this one? What are we going to do? And so we actually went outside the place, and then the salesman, gracious guy that he was, he went ahead and, and we completed the sale outside. And as I reflected on it, you know, I, I just kind of felt sorry for those people, really. The, the, the panic and the anger has been ratcheted up to astronomical levels in our country over COVID. But you might be thinking, Glenn, as a Christian, how can you not love your neighbor by not wearing a mask? You know, because that's really the, the meme, isn't it? I mean, people who are wearing masks, they accuse those who don't wear a mask of not loving their neighbor. And so I think what I'm going to do is let you know why I don't wear a mask. And it is by conviction. I don't wear a mask unless I absolutely have to. Now, you know, if I have to go to a certain place to conduct business and I can't go anywhere else, you know, like a hospital, I have to wear a mask because, of course, that's what they, what they say. And I cannot go online, for example, to go to the hospital. So I have to wear a mask there. But Jesus said that loving God and loving neighbor is what we are to do as human beings, as, especially as Christians. But what does it mean to love one's neighbor? Well, as Jesus normally does when he talks about these kinds of things, when he shares truth with people, he normally quotes, and just about all the time, he quotes from the Scripture. And, of course, in his day, what was the only Scripture that they had? Old Testament, right? And so when he was talking about loving one's neighbor, he was quoting from the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus 19. The context in Leviticus 19 about loving one's neighbor has in large measure to do with speaking frankly to your neighbor, speaking truth with your neighbor. Now, there's a lot of information floating around regarding COVID. Would you agree with that? Uh, All kinds of seemingly contradictory information. And to the best of my knowledge, my understanding of the truth of this disease is that people do die with comorbidities who have COVID just like people who die with the seasonal flu who have comorbidities as well. Now, there's much evidence, though, that COVID-19 is not nearly as deadly as those who have an agenda are trying to make us believe it is. So for me, the bottom line by not wearing a mask is that I am loving my neighbor by telling them the truth that having COVID is not a death sentence. So we don't need to fear COVID. We don't need to fear anything. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus tells us? Except for one. We are not to fear anything or anyone but God. See, He alone, He alone has the authority to kill. He alone has the authority to throw a soul after He has killed into hell. We are to fear Him. See, with a disease, any disease, what, what's, the va- what's the only thing that a disease can do? Kill our body. That's it. Even a human person, the only thing they can do with us, kill our body. But the only one that can do something about our soul 
when we have died is God. We are to fear Him and Him alone. Now, of course, concerning COVID, this is my settled conclusion on the matter. Every one of us needs to do our homework and live out their conclusions about anything, any matter, especially COVID, and let the chips fall where they may. We are to live according to the courage of our convictions, are we not? We're not to kowtow to others. We are to live according to the courage of our convictions and to think about the truth of everything that comes into our lives. Now, thinking on things that are true is part of living a hope-filled 2021. So much of what we continually think about really does determine how well we can communicate hope to a world who so desperately needs it. So our passage for today is Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 to 13. So uh, pull that out there, Philippians 4, 8 to 13. We're going to go through that in, in in a minute or two. But like last week, we're going to just walk through these verses. But let me remind us where we have come. And I trust that you have been able to think on the things that we talked about this last week. And I know at least one of you are. I saw a Facebook post that kind of illustrated us playing catch with God. (laughs) Right, Donna? It's great. (laughs) And other people even liked that, so that was kind of cool. But we remember what hope is. We're talking about a hope-filled 2021. What is hope? It is the absolute conviction that it is sure, that we are sure of what it is is going to come to pass. That is hope. So much so that we are going to stake our very lives on these things. It is impossible for it to be any other way. That's hope. Again, my hope is fixed on Jesus, and so heaven awaits. I responded to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I stopped going my own way and started going God's way. I have placed my full trust in the gospel of Christ and Christ himself because the king died and rose again for me. He has placed me in his family, and one day I'm going to be with him. What about you? His resurrection guarantees and validates his promise. Because I live, you will live also. It is impossible for me to see it in any other way. My hope lies in him, and that hope is given to every true follower of Jesus. And so to demonstrate our hope in Christ... God has called us to live a hope-filled life. And what better time to begin to live a hope-filled life than right now? January 3rd, 2021. So again, let me remind us of where we've been. Step one in our hope-filled life, our journey, is this. We obey the command to rejoice in the Lord, exercise our will to rejoice in the Lord as he tells us. In Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We live this way on one hand, and then living in light of the Lord's nearness on the other hand, as he tells us in Philippians 4, 5. He says, let your gentleness, your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is near. He is as near to us as our very next prayer. And so when we do, when we exercise our will in one hand and live in light of of the Lord's nearness on the other, we can be gentle with people, can't we? We can let a lot of things go in this life. Why? Because this life is not all there is. 
And there's a whole lot of things. Again, we can just let go. See, we don't have to win, do we? We don't have to win. The Lord's coming back and He's going to win. We don't have to shove our opinions down other people's throats, demanding that they believe us. Now, we can have our opinions, can't we? We can hold to the truth of what God tells us, even if nobody else does. Just like the lyrics of the song declares, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. What about you? Are you following even if nobody else follows you? Are you following the Lord? Well, that's step one. Step two, anything that concerns us concerns the Lord. That's a spiritual fact of life, isn't it? God loves us. He cares for us. And so we need to be giving Him everything that causes us anxiety. And what happens when we do that? What do we do? How do we do this? We cast, we fling our anxieties on the Lord because He cares for us. And what we do, we play catch with God, don't we? We toss Him our anxieties, and what does he toss back to us? His peace. And so we we toss him anxiety, he gives us peace. And what does this peace do? It guards our hearts, guards our minds in Christ Jesus. But what does that peace look like? David painted the picture in Psalm 131, 1 to 2. He said this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed myself and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Is that not peace? Isn't that great? Don't you love that? David's relationship with the Lord is like a weaned child against his mother. Protection, peace, contentment. David was no stranger to hardship, as we know, if we would read just even a surface reading of his life in the Scripture. He was often hunted down like a dog. Storms raged around him. He was falsely accused many times, even by the king. Even the wife King Saul promised David was given to another man. But he knew where his comfort was. It was in the Lord who dearly loved and cared for him and nurtured him. And so he invited David, lean back against me. Have my peace. Have my contentment. So having dealt with our relationship with the Lord in our prayer life, let's now take a third hope-filled step in 2021. This is our first verse for today in our passage, Philippians 4.8. So uh, turn with me there, and, and let's read it. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, this verse is not out of the ESV. It's out of the New American Standard Bible, and there's a reason for me having done that. You know, I don't use other versions when I preach. And when I read it, it's just almost exclusively ESV. But there's a reason why I did this NAS today. But what we're dealing here, of course, is our thought life. You know, it's a given that all of us have an inner world, don't we? I mean, we can be kind of lost in our own thoughts, even if we are surrounded by other people, social distance or not, right? 
and how and what we think about things profoundly affects us. Isn't that true? And that even goes for our sudden reactions about things. How often do we say and do things that are embarrassing or even harmful to others? And then we just say, oh, that's not me. That's just not like me. Well, got news. It is like you. Just like all of us. Why? Because all of us are prone and all of us, even as Christians, can do the most vile things, can't we? Even at the most inconvenient and worst times. Situations have a way of not making us or breaking us. They have a way of revealing us. Now, that's hard truth, isn't it? Hard truth, but it's truth nonetheless. It's reality. And as Christians, our thought life is right at the center of the battle. Our tongues, for example, are tied to our hearts. Not not tied to the back of our our throats, tied to our hearts. Because what did Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, what happens? Our mouths speak. Our tongues are tied directly to our hearts. So if we want to hear someone's heart, what do we do? We hear what they say, and we also hear how they're saying them as well. So Philippians 4.8 is a tremendous help for us as we feed our hearts, which serve them to push out the rotten things that were there and that are there, enabling us to speak words and go places and do things that we are wanting to you know, serve the Lord. So we can have our hope set, and we do have our hope set on Christ. And we can consider this verse as a mental checklist to help us think godly thoughts. Now, having been in the military, I'm very used to checklists. And so I I like this. This is a great thing. And so today, though, I want all of us to engage in a little interactivity. All right? I want us together to memorize Philippians 4.8. Now, those are a lot of words, Philippians 4, 8, one verse. And so on the back of your bulletin in the corner, there is a number there. You either have a one or a two. Okay? Yeah, somebody's a, somebody caught it already. But one or a two. And so remember that as we're going to do this. Okay? What I'd like for us to do is to volley these, this verse, these different points of this verse back to toward one another between the ones and the twos. Okay? You with me on this? Philippians 4.8, again, has a lot of words, but we can break it down to its main points. And we can do this, first of all, by repeating a word that many of you heard me say over the years, if you've been with me for a while. And the word is thropograp. Say it with me. Thropograp. Come on. Say it again. Thropograp. Because thropograp is the key to memorizing this verse. Every letter in thropograp, the acronym thropograp, is a point in this verse. Thropograp, the first letter of thropograp is what? T, which means true. H is for honorable. R is right. P is pure. L is lovely. G is good repute. E is excellence. Or, and P is worthy of praise. See? Thropograp. It's great. Easy, isn't it? Thropograp. So let's play a little volleyball here with Thropograp, with this verse. And I'm going to begin by saying, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever, whatsoever things are, 
And then the ones will say the first point, true. And then the twos will say the what? Honorable. Okay, so you ready? You're with me on this? So let's do this. Let's memorize Philippians 4, 8 together. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever things are? Twos? Ones? Continue, right? Continue? All right? Dwell on these things. Okay, you got it? Let's do it again. Okay, ready? Finally, brothers, finally, brethren, and sisterin, whatsoever things are. Dwell on these things. Again, a commandment. Congratulations, Grace United. Just memorize Philippians 4 8. Isn't that great? It's good stuff. This is a wonderful way of helping us in our thought life. And so prayerfully, you'll have this etched in your minds, at least lodged in your minds as we kind of go through the message, and then maybe you'll have it in your mind as we leave today. But let this statement sink deeply into your hearts and minds because it squarely fits with this verse. So a thought reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. So much depends on what we constantly think about. We have the power to choose of what to think about, don't we? Now, stereotypically, women change their minds all the time. Well, guess what men do? We change our minds too. So it's human condition to change our minds, and we can choose of what to think about in our own private lives. And Philippians 4, 8 is a major step in showing ourselves and others how to live a hope-filled life. So let me encourage you to accept the Throppograp Challenge. All right? 2020 was taken up with many events, but I, I, look at, I look at basically three events that were taken up. We got COVID, we got racial tension, and we got the election, right? Those three things. Now, there are others, but these are the major ones. Now, imagine that somehow your mind and what plays in your mind was somehow hooked up to the Goochland Drive-In Theater, both screens. So think about, let's just take, for example, COVID, because that's the most, you know, you know, fresh in my own mind concerning COVID. What goes on in your mind normally when you think about COVID? Let's thropograph this together, shall we? Are my usual thoughts about COVID true? Or do I just kind of listen to what everybody's saying and I just kind of take it in? Am I thinking factual things about COVID? And also, am I thinking factual things about people who I interact with? when I speak about COVID? Are my thoughts honorable when it comes to COVID, especially to those and about those who disagree with my point of view, even very, very vigorously? Are they honorable when I think about other people who hold a different opinion than I do? Are they pure toward other people when I think about that, especially those who hold a different opinion than I do? Are your thoughts pure in God's eyes when you think about that? How would other people see it 
on the, on the two theater screens at Goochland Drive-In Theater. Just leave that with you. But remember where step three is in our hope-filled demonstration of the Christian life. If we're rejoicing in the Lord while living in the light of his nearness, step one, if we are playing catch with the Lord, tossing to him our anxieties and receiving back his peace, peace that looks like a weaned child against his mother, step two, then it will be much easier to have our thoughts more in line with Philippians 4.8. That we'll be able to throttle group our, our thoughts and have them in line with what God would have us to think about. And so the bottom line is, if you're having trouble throttle grouping your thoughts, maybe you need to go back to Philippians 4.4 4 through 7 and see, if you're, see how you're doing there. Are you exercising your will to rejoice in the Lord? Not in circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. Are you leaning back like a weaned child against his mother? But let me say it now. Let's turn the corner and say a brief word now about Philippians 4.9. And after we read this verse together, this, because this is step four of living a hope-filled 2021, and here's what Paul says. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Notice the flow from steps three to step four. Paul here is saying that godly thinking will lead to godly actions. And once again, this is a commandment. Put these things into practice. Well, what are these things? The things that the Philippians learned and received and heard and seen in Paul. The apostle set the example. He's telling his friends, what I teach Believe that. What I say, say that. What I do, do that. And the God of peace will be with you. In short, Paul is telling the Philippians, follow me as I follow Christ. And the point Paul is making here is simple. We all need to follow a Christian who is more mature than we are. Did you get that? You know, we oftentimes think, well, my discipleship with Jesus is just Jesus and me. Well, Paul didn't say that here. He didn't think that here. What did he say? Philippians, what you've seen and heard in me, practice these things. So the point is that we need to be following other believers as they are following Christ. Mark that man. Mark that woman. Mark that young person who's more mature than you are in the faith and follow them. Do what they do. Say what they say as they are following Jesus. For example, do you want to know how to share the gospel? Find someone who is sharing the gospel and ask them how it's done, and then do what they do. Do you want to know how, if, if, your, if your prayer life, for example, is weak, or your Bible study skills are weak, what do you do? Find someone who's strong in those and ask them, how do you do this? What does it mean for you to pray? How do you get deep into Scripture to understand it? Or even about the very practical, vital things in life, like how to forgive someone who's wronged you. You know, we've all heard in our victory stories, hey, I was really struggling with this area. I had struggle forgiving this person, but God enabled me to do this. If you're weak in this area or you're having struggle, guess what you do? Go to them. Talk to them about it so that they can help you in your discipleship. Again, 
You've heard others speak of how they've been able to do that. Then they go to them and help them or ask them to help you. See, discipleship is at the very heart of the church. It is central to all that Jesus wants us to do. Now, evangelism does rank right up there. That's true. We need to share the gospel with non-Christians. We need to share the gospel with ourselves, tell ourselves the gospel every day. But discipleship is for the long haul with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Besides worship, which is the main thing that we do on Sunday mornings, we together are giving the Lord the praise and the glory and the honor due His name. We come together also for the purpose of discipling one another to make one another more like Jesus. So come prepared on Sunday mornings to disciple one another. Don't just walk in and say, hey, I dare you to bless me today, guys. Come on. No, no. We need to be involved in one another's lives. Prepare. Ask God to prepare our hearts. Lord, help me to, to, to come alongside somebody at Grace United tomorrow, you know, as, as you spend time with the Lord Saturday nights or even on Sunday mornings you're driving in here. Lord, help me to help somebody else at Grace United to become more like Jesus and help, and, and help me to allow others to me that I might be more like Jesus as well. See, discipleship, mentoring, being mentored, that is how body life is really to be lived. The church is not just a social gathering place, is it not? No, it is so that we might help one another become more like Jesus. So now, we've done four steps. Let's go to five steps. Turn the corner now. Our last step in demonstrating a hope-filled 2021. Philippians 4, 10 to 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, I think, is the most second most mis quoted verses, misunderstood, misapplied verses in all of Scripture. I can do all things. Can I really leap tall buildings at a single bound? I can do all things, right? That's not what he's talking about, and we know this. So what's at the heart of this portion of Scripture? In a word, contentment, especially when it comes to resources. Now, it's easy for us to say, Lord, I thank you for your provision, when we have a well-maintained house or a reliable vehicle, food in the fridge and more in the pantry, even where we have to talk about, you know, God, I, I need to lose some of this weight I've amassed over the last you know, few months. And when we have money in the bank and the savings, life is pretty good. And it's easy to say, God, thank you for your provision. Wonderful. But what happens when our resources are reduced to practically Nothing. Let's say a fire takes out your house. Let's say your vehicle seizes up as you're on your way to, to helping and, and trying to, to put this fire out. And then you get a, a call from your boss saying, you know, I got to let you go all on the same day. What then? What then? 
What would be the first question most Christians would ask God and even demand an answer from Him? Why? God, why are you doing this to me? What did I do to deserve this? All of my stuff, gone. (laughs) What's the fatal flaw in that question? My stuff. Yes, it is his stuff. Well, functionally speaking, that's where Paul was. He had nothing as he was sitting under house arrest in Rome. No money, no job, few friends. And on a number of occasions, those who stopped by his rented jail cell sought to argue theology with him. He was trying to share the gospel, but they were arguing theology with him. Now, of all people, it would seem that we could give Paul a pass, right? I mean, if, of anybody, all the things that he suffered. You know, if Paul were just some, maybe, you know, to share his heart, so to speak, and say, well, you know what, I'm really kind of complaining about life, you know, what, what God has done to me. Who would blame him if he would do that? But Paul did not do that, did he? He did not complain. And the key to his non-complaining spirit is an exchange of two words in questions that Paul asked the Lord. Instead of asking the Lord why, what do you do? He asked the Lord how. Lord, how can you use these experiences in my life to make, you, to make me more like you? In these verses, Paul revealed an answer to the, to the how, found in verse 11. He said this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. See, Paul had nothing, and he was content with what the Lord provided for him. He had to learn this, though. Now, again, where was Paul? Now, he had a lot of needs, did he not? He was in Rome under house arrest. He needed money to provide for his needs, his place to live. And like I mentioned last week, the scholars will tell us that he probably had to sign a contract for his own jail cell there in Rome as he waited to to get on the docket to face Nero. Where did he get the money? Was he independently wealthy? Probably not. He was a tent maker. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he was eligible for a daily food ration given by the state. Can you imagine the excellent cuisine that must have been? Other than that, Paul was again in dire straits, as he found himself in time and time and time again. But God was at work in Paul, just like he had been over the years. Listen to his testimony in these verses. He says, there were times when he had a lot. There were times when he had a little. Well off financially, church mouse poor financially. Many possessions, very few possessions. So what was Paul's reaction to the ups and downs of big-time material gains and big-time material losses? This is my spiritual gym, I can imagine Paul saying. I'm going to now get a character-building workout through these circumstances in life. I would imagine Paul's attitude, you know, maybe it was when he first had his first encounter with hardship and things being taken away, maybe he did ask why. Because he was a sinner, just like we are. He had issues just like we do, but the more times he suffered loss, the stronger he became in his contentment level. Paul's personal testimony bears this out in Philippians chapter 3, and he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This word is literally refuse and garbage or even dung in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul realized another truth of the hope-filled life, that we will leave this world, every one of us, in exactly the same way that we came into it. And what was that? What is that? Nothing. We came into the world with nothing, and we will leave this world with nothing, period. Zip, zero, nada. So what is a servant of God to do who doesn't even have enough money to pay his bills? Answer, rely on the God who provides through his people. Notice again what Paul said to his friends in Philippi. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Translation, thanks for the gift. I appreciate it. He praised the Lord for their generosity. Right at the end of this letter, he says in Philippians 4, 14 to 18, he said, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians know that when in the beginning of the gospel, when I first introduced Christ to you, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving as in giving and receiving money. See, he talked about money, didn't he? Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help, sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Now think about the modern faith healers and all that stuff today. Not that I seek the gift. You know, Paul doesn't seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payments and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. Again, the financial contributions. Thank you for this. He said it was a pleasing offering, though. It was a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice, he was not asking for more money, but he was grateful for the Lord's working in their lives. That was the point Paul was making here. And so what was the Lord doing in Paul's life here in those two years while he was sitting in house arrest in Rome? In part, teaching him to be content regardless of his circumstances and gaining an even greater appreciation of how valuable Christian fellowship is. See, the Philippians knew what Paul needed. Why? Because they knew Paul. They took the time to get to know Paul. And now we can gain yet another insight into Paul's life of contentment, learning Paul's secret as well. What is the secret to Paul's contentment? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In essence, Paul says, regardless of whether I have a little or a lot, the Lord strengthens me to be content. He uses God's people to provide what I need. Now, we know that to be true, right? God does not invent money out of the air. He uses people, prompts them, and they give to meet the needs of one another. And I think of the times over the years that we at Grace United have been able to do that, providing major needs of the body here because of open-handed generosity. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been able to meet the, the needs that brothers and sisters in Christ have here. And also, again, as I mentioned earlier, thanks to your generosity, we're able to help our brother in Christ, David, 
over on the other side of the world to meet the needs of his family and even to provide for some things like his daughter's school. And a wonderful thing. So Holy Spirit prompted generosity is what Paul experienced. And now David is experiencing all because of the Spirit of God who changes people. What releases our wallets is the Spirit of God. What we normally do as people, especially in dire times, we tend to hoard and keep it. But what does God's people do? God's people says, I want to give it. And that's what happened here. God is the one who supplies, and He is the one in whom our hope is found. Church history tells us that charges were dropped against Paul. He only spent two years there in Rome. He never appeared before Nero the first time. But a couple years later, Paul was arrested again. He was brought back to Rome, only this time confined to the Mamertine prison, which was the death row in Rome. Paul was now thrown into a government-issued jail cell. He had nothing but his hope in Christ. Paul took pen in hand one last time to write to his mentee, Timothy. Paul knew that his time for his homegoing was near because they didn't mess around in Rome in those days. You got executed pretty quickly if you were charged of a crime worthy of death. And Paul was worthy of death, according to them. He refused to bow down to the Nero or to the Caesar and declaring him to be Lord because Jesus is the only one who can be declared Lord with a Christian. And so I want you to turn with me, if you will. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 12 here. As we hear, again, Paul's testimony of, who, of, what, of what Christ means to him and, and the hope that he had in Christ. He waited for his promotion to heaven as he wrote these very words. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. He said, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or be his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, Paul said, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. His hope was in Christ and Christ alone. And my brothers and sisters, Paul lived that kind of a life. We can live that kind of a life too in 2021. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what's going to happen in the next two months, next two weeks, but we know Christ. Our hope is fixed on him if we know him. Followers of Jesus know their destiny. In Christ alone, that's where our hope is found. And may all of us in 2021 demonstrate this hope, rejoicing in the Lord, living in light of His nearness, playing catch with the Lord as we toss our anxieties to Him, as He gives us His peace. Peace is that of a weaned child leaning back against his mother. We can throttle grip our thoughts and faithfully follow Christians as they follow Christ as 
as we all help one another to grow to be more like Christ. And then we all continue to learn the secret, the secret of being content. Even as Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let's have ourselves a hope-filled 2021. The world is desperate to see it. May they know that our hope is found in Christ alone. Let's make hope visible. And let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you've given us a roadmap. We thank you that you've given us practical steps to live out this hope that you place within us. Lord, this world is living in despair. There is death all around them. They have bought the lie that if they get a certain disease, it is an automatic death sentence, and they're just waiting around to die. But Lord Jesus, you've given your people life. You've given us eternal life. You've given us the conviction that it's impossible to think of it any other way. This life is not all there is. I pray, God, that you will help us. Help us to live in light of your nearness. Help us to live in in this full reality that we can cast our anxieties upon you. Whatever causes us concern, we can cast it upon you. You will give us your peace as we do this. We can have a thought life that is full and robust and pleasing to you. We can obey you, Lord, because we're grateful for what you've done. You can help us, Lord, to follow Christians who know you, and we follow them as they follow Christ. And, Father, we can rest contentedly because we know you, and we know, Lord, your strength that strengthens us no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Lord, we can believe this. We are, our hope is fixed on you, and you can give us the strength that we need to, to do all things, especially when it comes to contentment. So, Lord, I pray that you will help us to live this out. Help us to make hope visible. We're going to give you thanks, Lord, and we'll give you praise. Give us opportunities to share with others this week about the hope that lies within us, yet to do it with with fear and trembling, knowing, Lord, that you are the only one that we are to fear. So now, Lord, I pray as we turn our attention to our singing and to our giving, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to do this with an attitude of praise and worship and gratitude because you alone deserve it. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name.